Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Strange case. No sign of violence, yet she looks completely contorted in fear. Almost as if she'd been frightened to death. As if she'd seen something too horrible to live through. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 224, The House That Dripped Blood. Yes, indeed. This is from 1970. This is an Amicus production. Amicus was a studio, a British studio, that, like Hammer, was uh, famous for putting out horror product. They're also pretty much a chief rival to Hammer, uh, whereas Hammer would uh, be famous for uh, their movie starring Pure Cushion Christopher Lee, your Draculas, your Mummies, you know, basically reimagining the universal horrors, but mod for the modern day, a little bit more lurid, a little bit more gory uh, in color as opposed to black and white, etc. What Amicus was famous for, and they would also, you know, share a lot of the same actors, I mean, Pure Cushion and Christopher Lee appeared in a ton of Amicus films, was their anthologies and uh another uh, notable amicus anthology that i really love is uh dr terror's house of horrors i'm hoping i'm getting that right huh. i love i love hammer films i love amicus films i basically love anything that christopher lee and pierre cushing are in now it's a shame that in this film they, they didn't share any screen time together this being an anthology film they're in two separate anthologies it's always a treat to see them in a movie individually it's a bigger treat to see to get both actors in the movie it's a biggest treat to have them acting together yeah for sure because you know that my holy trinity is pure cushing christopher lee and of course who's the third well vincent price of course, yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> I, I just figured he would have like topped them all he would have been the lebron james of your trilogy oh he the is he's a mere kobe or whatever like, he's he's, he's, he's the michael the jordan yeah as far as i'm concerned that's the best <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> he's michael jordan's a goat and so is vincent price yeah exactly um how, how is it that goat means someone who is uh, both the greatest of all time, as mm-hmm. the acronym suggests, but also a goat is someone who did something wrong. That's I don't know, a, but the I, English language is so bizarre. I just feel well, like I mean, like that, it's valuable and invaluable yeah. mean the same thing. I just, and I'm, in is the you know the prefix that means the opposite. So what in hell is going on? <laughs> it's incomprehensible, I would say, which does not mean comprehensible. I know, but that's funny because like, as far as that whole goat um, acronym, I'm not sure the etymology of it. But the first time I ever heard it being applied to a person. It was uh, something, it was self-applied by LL Cool J. He called himself the goat. Because <laughs> I always thought if you scored on your own net, you were a goat. Like okay. it's, uh, but now it's the greatest of all time. But So did LL coin goat? I, I'm not sure, but it's just, yeah, it's so bizarre. It's just your age. Swag goes from something radio stations give away in the in the 80s to some lucky, lucky caller number seven for referencing Led Zeppelin to now uh, some kind of, 
you know, mojo or, or swagger as opposed to just tack a few letters on the end. So who knows? Like, it's very odd. And bad means good. Well, yes, always. <laughs> a lot of these anthology films, now that we've uh, had our little um, linguistic discussion out of the way, uh, at the time, they're actually referred to as portmanteau movies. I, not, I think the anthology, whole, uh, the, the term anthology sort of started with Creepshow in the 80s. So yeah, hmm. so let's call this a portmanteau movie. Uh, same with Bava's um, Black uh, Sabbath. That Black was Sabbath, referred okay. referred to as a portmanteau as well. Insofar um, as it has no wraparound or just it's just well, slightly different. There's Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a wraparound in this one, but it's, it's not, it's a slight wraparound. So interesting, because um, I've seen this film before. But not for many years. But when I first encountered this movie, it was in the form of a poster hanging in your... <laughs> Gracing the rather meager, pathetic uh, accommodations of a certain little Italy apartment. Hanging uh, in your bedroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years ago, if not longer. I remember, <laughs> you know, I, this was back in the day. I mean, we've known each other since high school. And, uh, yeah, you were... You had struck out on your own before any the rest of us. We were all just pathetically living with our parents, and you took the plunge, and you were living downtown. I think you had a, a roommate or two. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I remember pathetic basement apartment. Yeah, as I well. remember, <laughs> you know, coming over to your place, and there you had it on your wall, this incredible poster. And this was before, because remember, I got you know I've mentioned it many times. I got into the genre late, right? So this was before I was a full-on horror watcher, and yet I saw this. this amazingly striking poster with this this plate you know oh, with, this, yeah. with this head on top of it yeah. and you know and this font and it was ultimately revolting to me it was scary because i think with the one where there was a skeleton's face and everything yeah. and it had this incredibly lurid poster much more lurid than anything ever you see in the movie because there really isn't a drop of blood in this entire movie but i recall seeing that poster being alternately repulsed and fascinated i thought to myself oh my god if i had to think of my on my how does Chris sleep every night? If that was on my wall, I'd have nightmares Oh, and every I wish night. I still had it, too. I, I left it now when I, I moved. I I'm it. so pissed off with that oh. thing. It would have cost me a pretty penny as well. And But it's funny with your like little dissertation to start the podcast. Like I was unaware of these like subtle differences between Amicus and Hammer. I was just more of a Hammer uh, horror head, a Hammer head, I guess you can call it. And I was just like kind of obsessed with Christopher Lee, even though I didn't know too much about him. Uh, and so, yeah, I tracked this one down a long time ago. So I suggested, oh, we, we revisit it. Mm -hmm. And really the house in the title. So so it's not, uh, yeah, it's it's the connective tissue that strings all the four segments of this film together is an apartment. So it's good that you mentioned my apartment. So it's, it's a kind of a bad mojo house that people want to rent i guess you could say right that's that's really what ties everything together well when you say it's an apartment you mean in the sense that people are, are, are renting it they're letting it right but it's a, yeah. it's a mansion it's a pretty big house oh yeah yeah i guess it did well whatever you want to call it you're a renting a house right. whatever you want to call it's it an act, but it's the a landlord house. is one uh stoker which which is which is neat. Well, I'm gonna have to correct you again. He's he's the real estate agent. Uh, oh, is, uh, yeah. oh, is he? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, either one. He's the the guy showing the property, and of course, nudge nudge, wink wink, on the bookshelf as well of uh, this stately sprawling mansion. Uh, there's some Edgar Allan Poe. So you got these little nods to other things, and we'll mm -hmm. get into that first segment. You mentioned the connective thread is the home. Uh, there's another connective thread, and that is that, just like Creepshow was all was based on Stephen King tales uh, this was based on 
Robert Block stories. Uh, Robert Block wrote the screenplay for this, and of course Robert Block is most famous for writing the novel that ultimately became Psycho. So, hmm. so the movie starts off with a police in, uh, inspector heading up to investigate this home because the last tenant happened to be a famous movie actor who disappeared. And he starts talking to this stoker gentleman who I I thought was just a real estate agent. Maybe it was who knows? Maybe yeah. it was a bit of both. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and he starts telling him the stories about this house, regaling him of other people that he had rented the house to. And it was always a very short-term rental because each and every time somebody that was living in this house would come to a bad end. You'd think so, that he'd be implicating himself at that point, but who knows? It's not something I would probably... Well, who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the movie starts off with a couple moving into um, the house. The husband is a writer, played by the great uh, Denim, Denim Elliot, Elliot who most famous for the Indiana Jones movies mm -hmm. and he's got his young wife and he's just there because he wants to write his next novel he's a horror writer oh you and, gotta love that like, yeah. you need seclusion to write your opus like The Shining uh, Sinister with Ethan Hawke well, you like, know you, what you gotta find that spot to frankly, just get away from it frankly, all frankly this segment gave me a big Stephen King um, vibe to it because in many 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 times Stephen King has explored whether it's in novels like The Dark Half whether it's in his essays what have you the horror writer's psyche and how this sometimes well, what you write leads into your actual everyday life well, and how I you separate think, yeah well, I yeah. mean he was very depressed when he wanted to kill off the, the half the human population or oh, three quarters should I say in the stand so it really informed uh, most of his writing yeah. but yeah like I mean like things like the dark half secret window etc like mm. these are all these things are about like you know the writer creating a creation who then sort of manifests itself as real and here you have oh, this yeah. this down home Elliot novelist and he creates a character at least he thinks he does, named Dominic. Dominic. <laughs> and Dominic is a strangler. And he starts to see Dominic. And he starts to think that he's going insane. You know, why, what's going on here? Where does my... Where does my life end and my character begin? Exactly. Or when, yeah, yeah. And then things start to happen to make him question Sandy even more. Ultimately, make him go for therapy where his psyche gets delved into a little further and his wife is very supportive and so on and the thing with portmanteau films and anthology films is often there's always got to be a little twist at the end right so it's it's really hard to disguise because it's so short yeah to yeah. talk we, more we about really it without yeah you know talking about the twist and everything but well it, it is kind of interesting as, as someone who's delved into fiction where we we're working on our second non-fiction book but i'm always amazed by we're not working we're done okay we're well, just we're, we're waiting for our publisher to we're give waiting us. for the galley proofs and the edits yeah, exactly. so we're not near done but yeah it'll, well, it'll be cool but i just i'm always amazed yeah, we, we got a lot of work ahead of us sure yeah yeah i, I just hold novelists in such high esteem it really is in Incredible how to keep track of all these different moving parts and I've often wondered too like how much of your characters do you really inhabit is it like method acting where you have to can't you just turn it off yeah, maybe just turn off your laptop and just go about your daily business like I've never maybe that's why my great Canadian novel ended up gathering dust because I couldn't invest myself so wholly in these characters the the way you know Scott Fitzgerald would have done in, in Gatsby and like I just I don't have it in me so it is I, th I always find it neat when there's movies about writers and it never goes well when you're trying to get away from it 
You don't even have to be a writer, really, in burnt offerings. You, you rent this sprawling house. Nothing good ever comes out of renting a sprawling house. Like, people never learn. Maybe rent, like, a, a new condo with all the, like, the latest amenities. Yeah, and, like, stainless steel. steel stove. Oh, okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good call, yeah. So, yeah, that, that segment. Uh, Just don't rent. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, hey, you know. Yeah, you know, I guess I, I mean, I'm waiting for the next uh, for the somebody's got to be doing some sort of Airbnb horror movie. It's got to be coming out one of these days. <laughs> oh, that'd days. be great! Yeah. I think that's fantastic. There you go. Yeah, uh, that's my idea. So. Oh my god, that's ready for pilfering. I think you know that's that's super cool because you could just move on because these are such transient uh, type of accommodation. Well, I suppose it's not altogether different from a hotel, but maybe no, there's less. There's even more anonymity than the no-tell motel in the Airbnb. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah. And then then the other screenplay I'm working on, I'm not working on either, <laughs> but, you know, the, the homicide, well, I mean, it's homo, it, there are a few that are not quite on the level, but, you know, the homicide Uber driver, you know? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's good stuff. Oh, go. I love Those it. Rings, oh, my know, God. Somebody wants a ride? It's, it's time. For, it's going to be their last you're, ride. You're a fountain of creativity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a fountain of uselessness. So... The next segment is our second segment, with exception of the wraparound, and this yeah. is my favorite segment. I, I gotta say, I really first of all, Peter Cushing is in it, so mm -hmm. that's gonna put it up there for sure. And so the so the next tenant that moved into the house and is being investigated by the you know in terms of his um, what ended up happening to him is is this older gentleman by the name of uh, I can't uh, Philip Philip Grayson, and he's. He just wants to rent a home just to chill. The real estate agent, Stoker, I mean, that's the interesting thing. Stoker keeps on dissuading people from renting these houses, mm -hmm. and yet they're not easily dissuaded. Ah, oh, it'll be perfect for me. It'll be perfect. And he goes in this one. I think it'll be, I think you're, are you married? No, I'm not mm -hmm. married. Never been married. Well, I think you're going to be rather bored here. No, I shan't like be bored. It's like the sentinel away, yeah. I shan't be bored. I'm going <laughs> to read. I'm going to I'm going to catch up on things, gardening, well, what have you. I, I, I guess he was an ex-stockbroker, so I guess he was just sick and tired of the hustle and bustle of London. And even though he's dressed like a, an actor, shall we say, he's got the ascot, he needs to get away from it all and goes to this town, rents this accommodation, and... Uh, as he wanders the streets of whatever town this is in, he becomes... He, he comes across Jacqueline's House of Horrors, and he is compelled to go inside. As, as would one be would too. be, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and in this House of Horrors, there's a bunch of, I guess, you know... What, like Madame Tussauds, yeah, like, wax you know, type wax figures. And I'm digging it right away, so I'm thinking House of Wax and oh, stuff, yeah. Vincent Price, etc. And they're pretty pretty morbid uh, depictions of murders and what have you and there's this one figure that he's completely enthralled by as a matter of fact before we see that figure the film keeps flashing to this black and white photograph and it's 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 a lady and that face that he's enthralled by is i wouldn't say the spitting image only because of the denouement not the denim all, oh. but the way they actually rendered the face. It didn't uh -huh. look like, but according to our character and another character, she's the spitting image, right? Because ultimately, he was involved in some sort of love triangle with a, his friend, Nigel. And then Nigel comes to visit, and he becomes enthralled with this, this wax figure. And neither of them can... Well, no. Actually, Cushing is able to sort of, like, wrest himself away from this obsession. But whereas Nigel was supposed to come to the town, visit his friend, and leave... He can't leave. He keeps going back to the wax museum. He cannot take his eyes off this particular mm -hmm. figure. And that sort of hurdles us towards our conclusion. Again, I don't want to spoil anything. 
but I love this segment. I thought it was a lot, a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, number three. This is where we get our introduction to Christopher Lee, who plays this. I, I should just say before we yeah. continue, or did I mention earlier, that the movie poster came from this particular segment. Uh-huh, okay, yeah. And so he's the, you know, willing renter. He's with his young daughter, Jane, you know, a cutesy blonde young girl, probably eight, nine years old, hard to say. And uh, he hires a nanny to look after his daughter, and they, you know, uh, start to acquaint themselves with this place. And he's a taskmaster father. He's incredibly tough on his daughter doesn't let her have any of the nice things you'd expect growing up doesn't let her have toys doesn't let her associate with any of the neighborhood kids doesn't let her go to school so she's really homeschooled and under his complete control mm -hmm. and so the, you know he's immediately a loggerheads with the nanny who well, okay. is more, more liberal yeah. type lee he plays a gentleman by the name of reed he rents the home with his daughter it's interesting how when Stoker described Reed, he described him as a dangerous man. Well, not quite, but anyhow. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, the one of the first things that he, he wants to do, Reed, is to find a nanny slash educator for his daughter because she will be homeschooled. So he hires an ex-school teacher by the name of uh, Mrs. Norton. Norton. Yeah. And he's kind of reticent all the same. Like, he's very, very as you said before, about like a stern taskmaster about his daughter, and he's very reticent as to who's going to have contact with her and so on, but Norton wins him over, and there's weird, you know, Norton starts to see that there's things that aren't quite on the level. For example, a fire seems to disturb the daughter, and, yeah, of course she finds out that, you know, she doesn't have any toys, or she's not really allowed to go out and do the what friends, oh, sorry, uh, may play with friends, or do what young girls her age do. She's under the auspices of her father, who's a stern taskmaster, and all she has to do is to stay home and be educated. And what more can we reveal? <laughs> well, okay. Uh, She's a special hmm. child. Let's put yeah, it that's, hmm. maybe we'll save what you know some of these little uh, tidbits for what we've learned. Mm -hmm. uh, segment four: famous actor comes to rent the place. Famous is Paul Henderson, which is. Odd as Canadians, because there's this stupid touchstone moment in sports, which uh, has annoyed me to no end. But this is something, yeah, maybe our listeners don't know about, but this stupid hockey tournament that Canada won in the 70s. And Paul Henderson scored this famous goal to beat the Russians. And so Paul Henderson is the actor in this segment as well. And he's a horror actor. He's a horror actor, and he's, he's actually... This is a movie within a movie, so this is kind of neat. He's in a vampire flick mm. of, of modest renown, it should be said. It's a pretty crappy production. Paul Henderson pokes his cane through the paper mache set and says, this is crap. I've worked on you know dozens and dozens of horror films. He probably has a resume like Vincent Price. Well, yeah. He's like not happy with this production the, he's in. The film may be a crappy film, but Henderson... And by the way, this is my second favorite segment... Mm -hmm. um, Likewise. Probably because the actor that played Henderson, uh, the wonderful John Pertree, just hamming it up gloriously. <laughs> he uh, he was uh, one of the Doctor Whos. And if anybody watches a god-awful show, uh, Gotham, I used to, he's the father of the actor that plays Alfred, John uh -huh. Pertree. But anyway, um, yeah, he comes to the house because it's about an hour away from the film set. And he's got his um, 
I guess, significant other in tow, and she's his companion as well as his co-star, and she's played by the wonderfully vivacious Ingrid Pitt, and Ingrid Pitt is famous for playing uh, vampiric characters mm-hmm. in mostly Hammer movies. A little in-joke there. Yeah. yeah, well, there's there is a few in-jokes here, and there's one in particular I'm saying for what did we learn, but the films may be, you know, um, B movies, but Henderson takes his craft very, very, very seriously. He wants the utmost in authenticity. He also considers himself to be a bit of an occultist himself. He doesn't just play these characters. He studies them. Yeah, he bemoans that modern horrors lack the realism that he's been accustomed to starring in. So he's just, there's no realism, he even says at one point. And he doesn't have the proper like accoutrements to star in this movie. So well, he the really set needs, shoddy, so yeah. he finds himself a, a shop. And there, it's always funny when you find these little antique curio shops, you know? Yeah, he becomes his own wardrobe stylist. Yeah. He needs a cape no, no, to but, act in this role. what I'm saying role. is that in horror movies, no good comes out of little antique curio shops uh, yes. we could talk about gremlins we could talk about stephen king's needful things what have you there's even a episode of uh, one of my you know rick and morty which i adore where they kind of play with that sort of motif that well, the bookshop in the argento film we podcasted uh, yeah uh, the occult shop whatever yeah. you get from these these <clears throat> small little charming antique curio shops you are going yeah you're gonna pay for it you're gonna pay for it <laughs> yeah and maybe not yeah. with with in fact it's funny because he, he gets a cloak, which was an authentic vampire cloak. And, and what a the deal. Pro- the proprietor <laughs> says, oh, yes, it'll be 13 pounds. He goes, oh, 13 pounds a week to, to rent? Nope, 13, 13 yeah, pounds, yeah, and, and it's yours. yours. Yeah. So that's the other thing. When you find these antique cure shops, when the proprietor is so eager to give away <laughs> these, yeah, you know, yeah. his wares, you know that there's going to be a steeper price to pay besides the 13 pounds to own this cloak. Oh, yeah. So he wears a cloak. He's filming a scene with um, Ingrid Pitt. I believe her name is Carla in the film. So, yeah, he's filming a movie, a scene with Carla. And it's, you know, a standard vampire. He's supposed to bite her neck, and he gets feral. And he actually starts biting her neck for real. And Carla is taken aback. She's like, what are you doing? You know? And and, and um, Henderson does not know what came over him. So, obviously, there's some something about this cloak. It's imbued with all sorts of, yeah, occultish properties. And, yeah, do we say more about that segment? See, that's the whole thing. Like, I mean, all of these segments are very short. And if we just continue to describe these segments, we're going to spoil the denouement of each and every one. And I don't like want to because sure. they, um, you know, as I said before, in most anthology movies, there's always that little twist. And that's the thing that I really love about anthology movies. And like, I, I think I mentioned this the last time. I guess maybe I'm sort of moving into what did we learn right now. But when we talked, I think the last anthology we discussed was it... Um, uh, Baba was it Black Sabbath? It was indeed. And I mentioned how one of the reasons why I love anthology so much is because I was such an EC fan growing up. I loved reading the Tales from the Crypt comic book, and that EC template was used for Creepshow. And um, I also love the Tales from the Crypt TV series, the Twilight Zones, etc. I love the little bite-sized horrors. Uh, where you can wrap everything up and you know mm-hmm. from beginning Milton have a great arc in like thirty minutes, but what happens a lot of times with these anthologies and these twists, especially when you look at something like the Twilight Zone, and even you see as well, is a lot of times their morality plays, and at the end of the the segment, well in the Twilight Zone they're famous for one of two things, either a very ironic twist, right, 
just think of like Eye of the Beholder. Indeed, that's yeah. one of their most famous Pig episodes. Face, of course, yeah. Um, and and a lot of times they're morality plays where the person and, and you get this a lot in you see in Tales from the Crypt where the person who ends up um, coming to a bad end really had it coming. So they get their justice, or so to speak. They get their poetic justice. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, in this film, a lot of the characters. That, because they did try at the end they sort of break the fourth wall and Stoker talks to the audience inspector yeah in the audience yeah. and he says so now you know the secret of this house and why I bet that. but that didn't really wash for me because it seemed to me that the majority of the characters that came to a bad end in these movies were they not were just innocent were innocent yeah. people um, Cushy's character was innocent there was nothing wrong with his character whatsoever uh, there was a very very legitimate reason why Reed why Lee's character was as he was as a father it wasn't because he was just a complete jackass there was something you know to justify his, his exactly yeah, his, and on and on and hand. on so you didn't get that comeuppance what you're getting is you're getting bad things happening to good people that just have the misfortune to rent this house so that was something that I found uh, kind of unique about this that it was it didn't fall that easy style where you know poetic justice prevailed yeah. Well, also I'd like to add because I'm I'm a big fan of houses that are imbued with a sense of dread. There really isn't that here in the sense that in the same way you get in uh, Sinister or or the Sentinel. Like this house is really it's it you could have been up Sinister. Right? I I, well, I found that to be such a lackluster movie, but you really enjoyed it, didn't you? Well, it's one of the better Bloomhouse offerings, and I I admit. Well. Uh, like when when a house has a history and that history is conveyed in a creepy manner like i found the the lynching and the hangings in the backyard extremely evocative in that movie as well as the child drawings because it had it, it that was very intense say what you will about the rest of the film the main character not particularly in compelling but houses generally come with a certain energy and mystique and this could have taken place it didn't matter so much like the house was not the star of a film that was called the house that dripped blood and i thought that was kind of interesting and we're going to segue into what we learned i mean the house may not have been the star but there were some fantastic actors and some great music uh there's a really neat movie called death and the maiden and it's a schubert piece that peter cushing plays on his record player beautiful like one of my favorite classical music pieces ever but the soundtrack was incredible. Like there's every segment was almost. I mean, it was hard to really differentiate them. Uh, in Black Sabbath, the telephone, I believe we both found wanting. It was a little bit lacking. Oh no, I found. But, I mean, but maybe this compared one to the other segments, compared to the others, but, but I, these I were all unif- they, These were all good. I thought. The and I, yeah, I, I, I would like. It was hard to really like say what was your favorite. Like there was no quality drop off for any of them. Well, I mean, I do have. Uh... You have a favorite, a and, yeah, a favorite, and a second favorite, and so on and so forth. Uh, I found uh, the telephone to be fairly strong uh, in Black Sabbath, so I can't, I can't agree with hmm. you there. If you go back and listen to the podcast, you'll see. Oh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, um, or maybe that was just nitpicking because they were all pretty good here. But it's, yeah, it's, maybe, it's well, there's generally a slip up in an anthology. It's this is tight. This is on point all the way through. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I did mention the fact that this didn't really follow the EC template, but that's that's cool. Um, love, love, and this is another reason why I love uh, Amicus and and uh, Hammer, and, and really British horror of the seventies, sixties, uh, and seventies in general. I love the I love the the, the 
gentlemanly nature of a lot of the characters. I love the Britishisms. Um, I shan't. Uh, I should want to see, like the therapist saying to um, our first character, the writer, I should want to see you once a week now. Like I love. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I love and, that. And these 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 sprawling Victorian homes, yeah. and of course the candelabra, and just how. how okay, uh, that was like, ridiculous because <laughs> at the end of the movie, you you have the inspector inspecting the house and he's carrying a candelabra you have to have a candelabra a fucking, in a hammer it was, horror it was the film biggest it's, candelabra I've ever it's seen it's a the guy law. <laughs> walking around it looked it was looking like a fucking chandelier the thing was enormous yeah, it, it must have weighed 80 insane. pounds you had to, you yeah. had to hold it with two hands it was hilarious no, that was absolutely wild and um so that was funny but yeah i love it when these characters just speak the queen's english you know and mm-hmm. i find that to be very charming and just it really gives a air of debonairness if that's yeah, word, yeah. to the proceedings um i mentioned that there was a reference to hammer there was a little dig at hammer where which is kind of funny because when um the actor henderson is talking about the characters he loves and he's going on he's listing all these classic characters and he says dracula but then he has to qualify by saying the one with bella lugosi of course not that ouch, new fella ouch now, yeah now yeah. who is a new fella well that would be christopher, christopher lee, lee yeah who's well, they were in different segments, so maybe he, you exactly. Know? Yeah. But I mean, that's a Hammer film. Christopher Lee playing Ouch. Dracula, yeah. basically throwing like, shade. But at the same time, Christopher Lee is in this movie, so yeah. there was some shade thrown on Hammer, a little bit of shade on Lee. But I think Lee, Lee was always a good sport. And I'm yeah, sure exactly. He, <laughs> he didn't really take too much of an offense on that. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So, and like I said before, um, despite the lured poster, despite the title. There really was not one drop of plasma in this entire movie. No, true enough. It was a very genteel movie. In fact, when it was submitted to, in England to the ratings board, they wanted to get, like, probably when it was first released, they wanted to give it a G rating. And the producers protested. Usually it's the other way around. Oh, we want to give you an X, but oh, no, you can't do that. That'll kill our box office, right? They want to give it a G rating. So you can't do that. That's going to kill our box office. No one's going to see this unless you give it a stronger rating. Hey, I carry that bias to this day. If I see something on Netflix that's a PG-13, I'm steering clear of it in the horror space. I, I can't take it. Uh, yeah, you, with, just, with a you, few just, you just talked about Sinister, which you love, which is PG-13. So. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, but I think probably unfairly, but well, I didn't know it at the time, but I mean, when I'm scoping out a movie, then I will tend to, because I like to have a, it's rare that you're able to convey scares, you know. That's not without, time. I, I, that's something I would argue. Um, well, what, what was, I guess we recently covered 40 meters down, or like, whatever. What, what, like, what, was, what was that, PG-13? I'm coming to appreciate this movie more and more as time goes on, Get Out. What was Get Out rated? Not sure. I would think that was a PG thirteen. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, it's I guess the, you can't argue the, uh, you know, the Jaws uh, is rated PG, dude. Like. Hmm. Well, I guess these are still the exceptions of the norm. Yeah. Generally speaking, I want the horror hard. For yeah, there's always the exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. There's always the odd you know five nine guy in the NBA, but yeah, who still like I, I yeah I'm just admitting my own prejudice too, and yeah maybe maybe I wanted a little more house horror as well because. I don't know if this was the case for you, but I, I was c- kind of afraid of parts of my house growing up, and I didn't oh, want to. Yeah. I didn't want to. Well, I, I had a, um, I, I made this kind of fort that was under the stairs in the first house that I lived in in, n- in North Toronto, and so I would go down there and I hung like curtains up and I brought down like magazines and books and toys and made this thing. But as soon as darkness fell. Uh, it was the the furnace terrified me, and I couldn't be down there beyond like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, and I could not sleep 
with my door open till uh, probably like till I was 15, 16. Like, well, there was something about the stairwell that I really couldn't take. Like to this day, I sleep with the door closed, which is really weird. But, your bedroom door? Yeah, yeah, it's just something. It's some sort of weird horror feng shui thing. It's like well, when see, I'm getting attacked, why, and then I can spring from my bed and defend myself. That, I have no idea. Uh, see, that's if I could cite another PG rated horror film that is um, an absolute classic uh, that took this house horror thing and um, Poltergeist. Poltergeist ah, okay. and exploited to the nth degree because I saw that movie as a young kid and that is probably why I couldn't watch another horror film for about 20 years because <laughs> it scared the ever-living yeah. shit out of me, right? So you could blame a lot of, a lot of this household um, horror on Poltergeist, mm-hmm. the fact that you know people are afraid of their homes. But yeah, I mean for sure when I was a kid, uh, you know you, you'd be afraid of like there'd be an attic let's say or a crawl space or what have you, but the thing I always hated was just those little noises that would come at night and then it's always like the house is settling. Like, what the fuck is that? The house is settling. Like, it's, 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 how is it that, that we weren't afraid of our friends' homes? I don't well, know I was. Why. I was. Oh, really? Yeah. Because mine, mine didn't extend yeah. beyond my own home, which is a, few, a statement infused with irony because your home is your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And if anything, you have your parents to defend you. But yeah, I go to sleep over at my friend's place, and I did not. it did not bother me one iota. Maybe I was just overcome with the... Yeah, I guess the, uh, you know... For me, because... Uh, adrenaline of hanging out with your buddies yeah, overnight. No, see, I just... It didn't happen. Because I grew up with a single mother, um, and if she wanted to go on a date or whatnot, and if she couldn't find a babysitter, or my grandparents were busy, so she would find one of my friends who shut me over there. And, <laughs> and sometimes they were barely my friends. We were just passing <laughs> places. Oh, you're sleeping over at Danny's house. And I'm like, Danny, I don't even talk to my... And I'd be at, like, this kid Danny's house, and he was like... It's a fucking scary house. I don't like it. You mentioned being afraid of stairs. I was always terrified of those stairs. I don't know how to describe it, where it's not filled in, so I'm kind of using my hands, right? But like, oh, so they're like a landing, and then you don't see the other set? Like mm-hmm. you're, you go down and then down again, like with a little landing? No, no, or? no. Like where each step is just a step, and there's nothing behind it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. I always felt like I was going to fall through one of those little cracks. Yeah. You know? So and I, th- I would always get like this, this chill down my spine walking down those <laughs> stairs, or even up it, too. So, yeah, I would be scared of other people's houses, too. I was a scared kid, though. I was scared of my shadow. You know, I I told you that. Well, there's so many shadows in a house. So, I mean, that's a double whammy. Uh, Oh, another thing I learned is, well, just it speaks to the uptightness uh, and uh, stick-in-the-muddedness of the Christopher Lee character, Mr. Reed. It's pretty funny when... uh, uh, Mrs. Norton uh, presses Lee about his his late wife, and he says, "Oh, she was she was a beautiful woman, like stunningly beautiful." And uh, Norton says, "Do you have any pictures?" And Lee says, "Photos. They weren't necessary." And I thought, like, not necessary. That's your late wife. How could you not find photos necessary? And, and the photos just, were all in his mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, the, oh my God. Yeah. Well, our memory is subject to you know lots of is fraught with mistakes and misremembering so you've got to have the physical record of your mm-hmm. late wife but yeah that was a neat little detail yeah but again he's he's not the evil figure that he's depicted as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's more to that than meets the eye indeed indeed so uh star rating for the house drip blood oh uh three and a three and a half for me again just wonderful fun beautiful stuff uh I, I, yeah i didn't notice until you mentioned it in our discussion here where they talk about how an actor went missing and so that was in the first segment but the actor that did go missing was is in the last yeah, yeah. so that, that was mm-hmm. interesting I didn't pick up on that right away and I thought oh that, that's an odd thing but then of course all the loose ends are tied up so wonderfully done and mm-hmm. 
Yeah, three and a half for me. You? The poster's five stars. When I first, well, like I said, when I saw that poster in your bedroom, it had such an indelible effect on me. Um, but that's what posters should do. They should sell the movie. The head on a platter. Yeah, uh, so it was like that, that's uh, an interesting Salome, histor- Salome yeah. from all you Bible fans out there. Uh, John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, John the Baptist was famously beheaded, and Salome uh, requested that his dome be presented to her on a, on a platter so that that was yeah that, that's amazing anytime you see like a, a, a skull on a poster uh, your vincent price theater des Grauens has an excellent uh skull with a dagger shoved right through it and vincent price and his mustache peering uh, over it and, uh, amazing so skull the platter the dripping blood like that poster god damn it i wish i still had it, mm-hmm. it it's fantastic this is a fun ass movie right. really so five, cool. five star poster Three and a half star film. Yeah. Um, but te- honestly, you can't go wrong with Amicus or Hammer for that matter. They're all just a great time. It's a different. It's a. It's a different type of horror. You know, it's a more genteel horror. It's a more. And yet, you know, it, it, especially with Hammer, I mean, it, it, it never shied away from some uh, nudity or gore, or what have you. But there's this gentlemanliness to it. It's gentleman's horror, you yeah. know. And I love them. I love them so. Genteel. Yeah, uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. Still, you know, entertaining and frightening in its own right. So yeah, three and a half stars, and I I'm really happy that we got to revisit this one for the podcast. Uh, likewise, and check out more episodes of the podcast uploaded every Friday, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.